0: Good morning, everybody. As Caleb said, I am John Balsman and I'm excited to be with you guys here today. And little did you know, we had a surprise happen yesterday that maybe, maybe not, the furnace may be out. I'm not quite sure, but it's a great opportunity for us to have an intimate experience together. Because being close is a good idea for body warmth and just your kind of survival in a situation like this. So feel free to scoot in close to your neighbor. Feel free to get up close. There is a heater up front in case that is attractive to you to sit in the front row. (laughs) I may or may not be putting my hands in my pocket. You see these hand warmers, so I'm going to be shifting them around probably throughout this talk. Well, I'm excited to be here today. I actually got to meet your pastor, Josh, last year. We met at Denver Seminary at an event and hit it off, started talking about some opportunities to work together in different ways. And so that kind of brings us to today. And I'm from Denver, and like most people in the great city of Denver and Colorado in general, I am a transplant. I'm originally from Indianapolis, Indiana. And my day job is I'm a marketer for a sporting goods company. And so I came out here initially to work for an outdoor company, and I still work for an outdoor company. So as you heard from Caleb, this series that we're going to be entering into today is called On the Clock. And we are going to be looking at what this concept is and what this actually looks like for this thing that we spend so much time doing, this thing called work. So it's going to be five weeks long. We're going to look at different topics such as horrible bosses at work. We've all had them. Maybe some of us in the room have been them. I don't know. Maybe I've been one and I didn't know it, right? But we've all experienced something like that. And another one that we're going to talk about is what happens when you lose work. Maybe someone in this room has experienced that themselves, or maybe you know of someone who has experienced that and kind of what comes from that. But before we get into any of those topics, we first have to set this foundation for what is work and why does it matter. The sermon series that we're going to be kicking off, it starts off with today's topic called Job Offer. And we're going to be looking at how God works, how God is a worker, he's a creator, and how you were designed to work and that your work has purpose and that your work has meaning. As I said, I'm excited to be in the house today. Even if it's a little frigid, it's going to be a fantastic morning. And if it's an incentive, we have hot coffee and tea waiting for you if you don't have some already for after the service. And if you're here today visiting and you're someone who is a personal or has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, or maybe you're someone that's just kind of checking it out, just feeling it out and seeing what this thing called Christianity or being a disciple of Jesus Christ is like, we're excited to have you in the house today and excited for you to be here. So before we begin further, let's just pray real quick. Father God, we just come before you right now and just ask that we know that you're in this place, and we just ask, Lord, that your words, your words of truth, your words filled with the Spirit would just be present, Lord, that it wouldn't be my words or anyone else's words, Lord, because if that's the case, we're going to walk out of here shortchanged, because only you, God, can fill us with that truth. And God, we love you, and we ask that as you're in our midst right now, Lord, that our time together, that it would just bring honor and glory to you, and that our hearts and minds would be open, both the people and the preacher alike, to what you have to say this morning. We ask this in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Work is something that we all have in common, right? It's something with work and the weather. Those are the first two go topics whenever you meet somebody, right? It's always, looks something like this. You walk into a social situation, maybe it's a networking event, which kind of makes sense. Maybe you're at a party, or maybe you're just striking up a conversation on an airplane. It's gonna look something like this. Hi, I'm John. What's your name? Catherine. Catherine, nice to meet you. What do you do, Catherine? You're a student. What are you studying? Civil engineering. Civil engineering. Well, you're smarter than I am. Okay. All right. (laughs) I'm John. Nice to meet you. Hey, John. What's your name? Mike. Mike. It's nice to meet you. Mike, what do you do?
1: I manage uh, pre-sales.
0: You manage pre-sales. That's interesting. What kind of pre-sales? Software. Software. Okay. Again, smarter than me. All right. (laughs) So we've established that everyone in the room is clearly smarter than me. But we have this idea that how many of us, that is the first question that we ask or are asked. When meeting somebody new. And for many of us, work kind of has this negative connotation, right? We almost kind of cringe sometimes when we ask that question or we're asked that question. And admittedly, some of us have some pretty rough and tough jobs, right? Some people in this room, your work is hard, and there's no doubt about that. When I was writing this, I was thinking about some of my past jobs and past work, and I thought of this job that I had back in Indianapolis, and this is definitely one of the best and absolutely worst jobs that I've ever had. It was setting up events at the convention center in downtown Indianapolis. So I worked for this company and we would go to the convention center and we would end up setting up the events. And then once they were done, we would tear down those events. We'd bring it back to the warehouse. We'd clean everything up and then we'd do it all again. And based upon the fact that I was in high school and college, and my seniority at this company, clearly, I got bestowed this fantastic role in the summertime. Now, before I tell you what it was, I want to clarify to you what a Indiana summer looks like, because you Coloradoans may not fully be able to understand this concept called humidity, all right? And when I talk about a hot, humid Indiana summer, I'm not just saying like, oh, it's just a little bit here and a little bit there. I'm talking like you walk out of the door and it hits you like a brick, right? Like it just hits you and you're literally like, why am I sweating? (laughs) Like I haven't even done anything yet. Like I literally just walked to the car. It's that kind of humidity. And so in this hot 100 plus degree humid summer day, I was tasked with cleaning out the trash cans. These nasty, disgusting trash cans. And so they put me out into the big parking lot and they gave me this hose. And I had to spray down these nasty, disgusting trash cans in this hot, humid, 100-degree summer day. But it gets so much better than that. Because you see right next to where our place was, right next to where our warehouse was, next to us was a factory. And this factory didn't manufacture boxes, it didn't manufacture anything like that. This factory manufactured rats. (laughs) They manufactured rats for laboratory testing. (laughs) And so what happens is if there's a defect in a rat, they can't use it for laboratory testing. And so what they do is there is an incinerator at this facility, and they would put the rats into the incinerator. Now, you knew the day that they were incinerating rats. There is no getting around that. It was quite clear as day. And it just so happened that, as I'm tasked with cleaning out these disgusting, nasty trash cans on this hot, humid, 100-plus-degree weather day, that that, in fact, is rat incineration day (laughs) for our neighbors next door. And it not only smelled, it was so bad, the smell, that it was palpable. You could taste it in your mouth. And for years, I have no idea what triggered it, but for years, that taste would suddenly come to my mouth, and I would just be like, ugh. And so imagine this great job that I had. It was great and really bad at the same time of cleaning out these trash cans, smelling and tasting burning rat on a hot, humid day. Now, we've all had rough jobs, right? That's just one of mine. I'm sure if we went around in the room, all of us could have these experiences and stories about some of the things that we have done and had to be a part of. Now, I mentioned my job earlier. I actually came out here for my dream job. I got to manage a team doing exactly what I wanted to do. And I found that in that job, and even the one that I have, there are still days every week where I question, is what I'm doing, does it really matter? Right? Is what I'm doing, does it really matter? Because if I stop doing what I'm doing, the world's going to keep spinning, right? I mean, if I stop doing what I'm doing, it's not, Like, the world's going to be like, oh my gosh, John Bowsman stopped doing his job. Like, we got to put everything on hold, right? And so I still wrestle with this. And even though it's a better job than my rat job, right, I still wrestle with this sense and purpose in what I'm doing. And I don't know if any of you guys can feel that way or can kind of empathize with me on that, but going through this and really seeing what the Bible has to say about work was a great challenge to me personally, and especially in light of what I just shared. And so maybe for everyone in the room, you may have that experience with your professional lives, right? You may question maybe some of the things that you're doing there of like, man, does doing this conference call, writing this email, does it really matter at the end of the day? Maybe it's finding the joy and contentment in the work as a laborer. I'm not a homeowner, but I did help my parents with this deck back home, and I can only imagine, like, man, we just did this deck, like, two years ago, and now we're doing it again. And finding joy and contentment and purpose in the work that we do. Or maybe you're a student, and finding that joy and contentment, even as you're up late writing those papers, and you're up late cramming, because, you know, sometimes that happens, right? And so we're going to be talking about this idea in On the Clock, in this series about finding purpose and meaning in the work that we do, no matter what, no matter where, and no matter how it happens. So again, whether or not you're in this room and you're a believer in the Bible and you believe what it has to say is true, or you're kind of on the fence and you're just exploring, I do believe that the Bible has some truths that regardless of where you stand are practical and can apply to our lives today on the subject matter of work. So as we go through today, we're going to be focusing a lot on Genesis, which Genesis is the first book of 66 books that together we call the Bible. And we're going to be focusing a lot on Genesis chapter 2, which finds us right in the middle of what's often called the story of creation. And how the author writes down how the world, how the universe was created. And specifically, we're going to be looking at one passage, but in order to get the full meaning out of it, I want to make sure that we look at and provide the context for what we're going to be looking at before we dive into the specific content that we're going to be leaning on to today. Now, before we get into that too, I want to preface that in the story of creation, it talks about days. And I want to make sure that you know, we're not getting into the discussion today of whether it was actual days or whether they were figurative speaking and they went on for millions of years in evolution. We're not going to jump into that today, okay? I want us to look at the value of this passage and what it has to say to us as it relates to work. Sound good, church? All right, I'm going to warn you, I'm a son of a preacher man. All right? So like <laughs> my dad preached in the inner city and there was a lot of amens and hollalers and it was very conversational. So, I mean, I know it's cold, but we're going to do jumping jacks. We're going to do something because like I'm ready to preach, right? You guys ready with me? All right, here we go. Let's get, let's get warm here. All right. So we're going to set the scene a little bit here. Okay. So we're entering quite literally into the beginning, the beginning of everything. And so we find ourselves in the story where God is in the midst of creating, Okay, and so the account, as the author writes, it takes us through this progression as God makes the universe. And so it goes through, and we start seeing God creating dry ground and start creating animals. And then eventually, before he rests, before he's like, you know what? It's good. I'm going to take a rest. I just created a universe. He ends up deciding that he's going to create man. So he creates the first man called Adam. Anyone ever heard of Adam before? All right, solid. So he creates Adam, and then he's like, I'm going to put him in this garden called Eden. So he puts Adam in this garden called Eden, and he has work for him. He has some things that he wants him to do. And as he's doing those things, which in this case in one moment is naming all the animals, he ends up, God says, you know what? I want him to have a helper. I want him to have a helpmate, someone that he can co-labor together and be a co-caretaker together. So from Adam, God creates the first woman named Eve. And together they have this task of being co-laborers and co-caretakers together in this garden. And we're going to lean on different parts of this story as we go through today, but there is a passage that I specifically want us to dwell upon today. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to pull them out. There is a a sound that most preachers love to hear, and it's this. It's the sound of the actual pages being opened. In the case of us, this is quite literally at the very beginning, so it may just sound like this. (laughs) But if you have your Bibles, feel free to get them out. If you don't have a Bible, but you would like one, we have some for you. Um, They're over there on the counter. Uh, Feel free to grab one on your way out. If you have an electronic Bible on your phone, that's cool, too. We're going to have it on the screen, but I want to make sure that I'm reading it here from the word. So our passage today that I really wants to focus on can be found in Genesis chapter 2 verse 15. And it says this. The Lord God took the man, the man meaning Adam, and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. It's so short, I'm just going to read it again. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. There are three things that I want us to be able to pull from this story of creation today. And we're going to walk through it, and we're going to see. And the first one that I really want us to dwell upon is this idea and this truth that God works. God works works. I personally have this fascination with how a beginning of a story starts, right? I mean, I can't flip to the back, but I am also curious on how they end, but that kind of ruins the whole point of reading the book. But I am super fascinated when I get a book, I'm like, I I just dwell on that first sentence. And I wonder, man, why did the author pick those words, Why did he pick that sentence of all the words, of all the sentences that fill the pages of this book? Why did he pick those? What does he or she want me to know from this beginning sentence? And some of these are so prominent in our culture that they're recognizable, right? Like I'm sure if I list some out right now that you guys would be able to tell me where they're from. So how about this one? I'm going to say a beginning sentence of a book, and I just want you to yell out where it's from. Sound good? All right, here we go. Call me Ishmael. Moby Dick. Moby Dick. Absolutely, Moby Dick. It makes me wonder, I'm like, man, where, who's Ishmael? Should I be calling you something different normally, or is this like a, you know, a, a coding? I don't know, but why does why he start the book with call me Ishmael, right? Next one. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. I've heard tale of two cities. What else? There's another guess out there. All right, cool. That is actually true. So I actually got, uh, we discussed this with your pastor. I was like, all right. So uh, he said great expectations, I believe, um, which means he owes me a burrito at the end of this. (laughs) So absolutely. Great, great guess. And then this last one, this is one of my personal favorites, absolute personal favorites. Marley was dead yes, that's it, A Christmas Carol. It is, I read it every year. I absolutely enjoy it, and it always makes me chuckle, because the first time I read that, I was like, Marley was dead. I was like, well, that that's an interesting way to begin a Christmas story, <laughs> right? Like, I'm like, who's Marley, and, and why is he dead? Should I care? Should I not care? Am I excited? Am I sad? Like, does it even matter? I don't know, but Marley was dead, and so we have this idea that How you begin something absolutely matters as an author, as a writer. You're setting the scene. And so as we're looking at this first sentence, this first sentence of the book of Genesis that not only tees it up, but it's the first sentence that begins the rest of these books that we call the Bible, surely it has some importance that we need to dive into. And so as we look at this portion we're going to see in Genesis Chapter 1, verse 1. Again, if you're trying to find it in your Bible, it's pretty simple. Just probably turn to the first page. It's going to be right there. But it simply says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So thinking we get from that perspective, what is it that the author of this book of Genesis wants us to know? Teeing it up, letting us know at the very beginning is that God was there and he created. That God works. That he rolled up his sleeves and stuff happened, Right? such a beautiful image. It just makes me think there's this old song that's like, you know, it's Rich Mullins. He's an old school guy, grew up on it. My parents would play all these different things in the car. And, And so there's this story where he's talking about, he just, you know, rolling up his sleeves and how he's getting ready to do this. What a great picture of God. So it's important that we take from that, that God works. And that's super important for us to know. And as he goes through the story of creation, as it walks through, we see him work and creating the earth and sky and creating dry ground and creating the animals of the air and of the ocean of the land and then of man and creating woman. And then he rests because God works. But why does that matter? Why is that so important for us today? I believe it's important because I believe it tells us something about work itself. It tells us that work is valuable. Work matters. So our first point is here that that we can take from the story of creation is that God works. And the second point that I want us to be able to take from that is that we were designed to work we were designed to work. We were made in God's image. It says that we were made in God's image. We were made in his likeness. And that concept may be a little hard to kind of wrap our minds around and to understand. And so I want to put it this way. Now, I don't have any kids of my own, okay? All right. I've got dad jokes. I'm working on the dad bod. I'm like, a, I'm like a starter dad in the making, right? Like, it's a dad out of the box. Like, I just come right and ready, right? Just give me the kid, and I'm good to go, right? I mean, I'll sit down and watch Disney movies on a Tuesday night on my own, let alone if I got a four-year-old with me, right? It just gives it a little bit of excuse. And so, but I've had the pleasure of being an uncle to so many kids, right? And it's kind of an interesting thing to watch. Isn't it funny how kids... As, as they're growing up and as they're looking at you as, as their parents, that they want to do what dad does or what mom does. And so that's why that young lad wants to go out with dad as he's working on the car. And he wants that fake tool belt that he can kind of go out there with dad and, and help him out there with, with the car, right? Or help him hammer something in with that plastic hammer, because we all know that's going to work, right? But Many times it actually doesn't help, right? If you're a parent, if you work with these kids, it kind of actually like the task just took two times longer. But isn't there something sweet about that? Isn't there something so sweet that you see a child and a parent that the kid wants to do and to be what mom or dad does, which is why we see people buy aprons that say "Mommy's Little Girl" or if it's really cutesy, "Mommy's Little Cupcake," right? Or you see shirts or hats that say, I want to be like dad. Or I just bought some stuff for my nieces, and it's like, future little skier, right? Which is not true. It's really snowboarder for me, but it's fine. We're not going to judge. <laughs> We're not going to cause a division in the house. But we get this kick out of seeing kids do this, right? Whether it's our own or somebody else. And so surely isn't it an interesting thing that if we delight in our kids, Or children in general finding delight in what we do and wanting to do it with us? Doesn't that give a wonderful glimpse of what our Heavenly Father delights in? That Him as the Creator sees His creation working and caretaking and doing what He did and designed us to do. Doesn't that delight His heart? Now, I mentioned my father a moment ago, and uh, I don't know if you guys watched the Super Bowl. If you did, hopefully you were a part of the 95% of people that were cheering against the New England Patriots. Uh, yeah, there we go. That's the biblical truth. Yeah. Down with the Pats, right? David versus Goliath. We know who we're rooting for, right? Giants will fall. Giants will fall. Exactly. Exactly. I'm all about that. I have a, I'm a Colts fan from Indianapolis, so there's a ton of ton of animosity there that we don't have time to go into, but I spend time with my therapist going through it, so it's fine. <laughs> but I was watching this, uh, the Super Bowl commercials, and it reminded me as I was going through this of a Super Bowl commercial a couple years ago. I was in Indianapolis, and I was sitting next to my father, who, uh, as I mentioned, is a pastor. And he grew up, though, as a farmer. And we're watching this, and of course this commercial comes on, And it stood out to me then. And as I was going through this, I thought of it. And we're going to show it here in a second, but I thought this commercial has some great truths that I think we can pull from it. And not only the fact of this idea of work and this intrinsic idea that work matters, that there's value in work, but I think at the end of it, it also illustrates really well what we just talked about, about being made in one's image and likeness. And these kids wanting to do what dad and mom do. So I believe it might give us a, a really interesting and beautiful picture. So let's check it out real quick.
1: and stay past midnight at the meeting of the school board so god made a farmer god said i need somebody willing to sit up all night with a newborn colt and watch it die then dry his eyes and say maybe next year i need somebody who can shake an axe handle from persimmon sprout shoe a horse with a hunk of car tire who can make harness out of hay wire feed sacks and shoe scraps who planting time and harvest season will finish his 40-hour week by tuesday night Back, put in another 72 hours, so God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody strong enough to clear trees and heave bales, yet gentle enough to yean lambs and wean pigs and tend the pink combed pullets who will stop his mower for an hour to split the broken leg of a meadowlark. So God made a farmer. It had to be somebody who'd plow deep and straight and not cut corners, somebody to seed, weed, feed, breed, and rake and disc and plow and plant and tie the fleece and strain the milk. Somebody who'd bail a family together with the soft, strong bonds of sharing, who would laugh and then sigh and then reply with smiling eyes when his son says that he wants to spend his life doing what dad does. So God made a farm.
0: How many of you guys remember that commercial, by chance? Show of hands. Cool. How many of you guys remembered it was a Dodge Ram commercial? (laughs) Cool. Three of us, right? But what's amazing is that even though we didn't remember who did it, we remember what it said, and we remember what the message was. And it's funny how an automobile company would see that there is so much truth in this idea of work, this intrinsic value of work, that they would spend millions of dollars creating this one campaign, this one ad. And it resonates so strongly with us that years later, we can recall and say, I remember that. I don't remember what the car company was, that it was a car company. But I do remember the message because it spoke to us, right? It hits on this idea, this intrinsic value that we have with work. And so creation was created with us in mind to work it, to represent God in it, that we are made in his image and likeness and that we were meant to be these co-caretakers and co laborers together. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, isn't work a result of the fall? And by the fall, what I mean by that is when Adam and Eve sinned. Now, for context into the story, as it kind of progresses, eventually Adam and Eve disobey God. They sin. And as a result of that, they have to leave this Garden of Eden that they were put in. And God says to them, as as this is happening, that, man, you're going to have to toil the earth. You're going to have to toil the earth. And so you may be thinking, well, isn't work a part of the fall? Isn't a direct result of that? I would have to say that, no, no, no. We see in Genesis that man was working long before that ever happened, right? It says that God made man and put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. It was part of his original design. We see that God works and that man works two, worked. It's just that the fall made it that much harder. And I keep saying man here, but I want to be clear. This ain't no solo act, okay? All right? This ain't no solo act here, because as I mentioned earlier, when Adam is working in the garden doing his naming convention, naming all the different animals, which personally, I think he probably got a little tired when he got to the duck bill platypus. That's just a weird (laughs) thing in general, right? But as he's doing this, God looks at it and he's like, I think you need a helper. I think you need a helpmate to do this with, to do it together. Now, notice what God does not say. God does not say, hey, I've got something in mind here and uh, she's going to be inferior to you. Or God does not say, hey, I've got something in mind, but she's going to be a second-class citizen in this garden with you. No, 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 no. He does not say that. He says, I am going to make a helper to do this with you, together. That you are going to be co laborers and co-caretakers together. Because this word that's used there, that means helper, the only other time that it's used in the Bible is when it's describing God to man. That God is our helper. That he is our helpmate in time of need. So certainly God is not inferior to us, right? He most certainly is not inferior to us. And so I want to be clear on this. That does not mean any kind of inferiority. Rather, I think what it does is it paints this beautiful picture of being created in the image of God, that if God is a helper and a helpmate, how beautiful is it that he says, I want to create someone that reflects that. I want to create someone in my image that's going to reflect that part of me. Because you need that, Adam. You need someone to do this together. Because you're going to be co-caretakers. You're going to be co-laborers together. And you need that. And so our first piece that we take out of this passage is that God works. And the second is that we were designed to work. And that brings us to our last point that I want to take from the story of creation is that not only does God work and we were designed to work, but that your work matters. It matters. And I'm going to tell you why it matters in three different ways. I want you to see it as it matters to you. We're going to talk about how it matters to your loved ones and how it matters to the world, right? There's a study done, and it showed, and there's some startling facts, and it showed how when someone isn't working, when they're unemployed, which, again, we're going to have a part in the series that talks about when you lose work. This study showed how devastating it can be how anxiety and depression just go up exponentially and how even suicide can go up, but how there's this feeling that comes with that that's not good, that we don't want. And it just further pushes this idea that you were designed to work. You were made in the image of a God that is a creator. And as such, you were designed to work. And so it's not even just to provide, because let's be clear, Work doesn't just mean something that you get a paycheck from, right? Work can be something that you do for a paycheck. But how many people do we have here that are stay-at-home moms or stay-at-home dads or have been? That is one of the toughest jobs out there, and you certainly don't get a paycheck. It's rewarding as heck, but you don't get a paycheck, (laughs) right? And so it's for you. We work because that's how we were designed to be, And the second that comes from that is that we work for those we love. And that doesn't just mean if you have a spouse or if you have kids, but we work for those that we love. Because I have been in a situation in my life where I have been able to take care of other people when they have been out of work. And I, too, have been in a situation where I have been on the receiving end of someone's grace and mercy to me in providing for me when I have also been out of work. We're going to talk more about that later. And the third is we work because think about it for the world. Think about if we actually worked as a, as, as a people and we saw the intrinsic value and meaning of our work. How would we approach that differently, right? Right? I remember going on a missions trip, and we were putting siding on this building. It's not necessarily fun and sexy labor here, right? I mean, it's not as bad as the rat thing, but it ain't, you know, it's not a whole lot better sometimes, right? And I remember something that somebody said, and it stuck to me. And because there was a way that we could approach it, which was harder, but the boards would be straight. But if we cut corners, the boards would eventually warp. And I remember this person saying, I would hate to give God warped boards. I would hate to give God warped boards. And so thinking of that, what if we approached our work and seeing that it has meaning and value? I think the world would look very different. I think the world would look very different if we approached it this way. And so as we wrap up and as we kind of close and we enter into this series that we're talking about called on the clock. May we also approach it with new and fresh eyes that may challenge us, the people and the preacher alike, that work is something different than maybe we walked in today thinking. That there is meaning and value in it, that God works and that the creator of the universe who created all things that you and I were made in his image that we were made in his likeness. And as such, that means that we too were designed and made to work. And that your work matters. No matter what, no matter where, no matter how it looks, your work matters. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this time today and just for being in this place.